0: There's a word that I'm going to use quite a bit this morning, and I want to make sure that we define it so we're kind of all on the same page because it it might have a couple different uh, definitions. The word is rehearse. Okay, so rehearse. And usually when we think of that word, we think about like rehearsing for a play. We think about preparing for some kind of a presentation, some kind of an event, a practice of sorts. But there's a different way to use the word rehearse, and it's this different way that we're gonna be using it this morning. And that's to repeat the details of a story over and over and over again. If Maybe if you were the example that comes to my mind is if you were the victim of a crime or you witnessed a crime and, and you might talk to the police and you might tell your, your family later on, you would rehearse the, the details of that story and you would go over and over and over it again in your mind. And, and we, we do this all the time. We repeat stories. And they're stories that we don't just tell once or twice or three or four times, but they're, they're stories that we rehearse the details of over and over again. And when we rehearse them, and when we tell them to someone else, we're not just, it's not just words. In a way, it's like we're reliving that event. You know what I'm saying? We we relive it through retelling it, and we go over those details over and over again. We do this as a nation. I'm sure every nation has stories that they rehearse over and over again, maybe on holidays or special occasions where they rehearse certain stories that make them who they are. Every culture, every subculture within the culture, every family, probably every individual, we all have these stories that we rehearse. Our family has those kinds of stories. I, I know that Holly likes to, every year on the boys' birthday, she likes to rehearse the stories of their birth. She wants the boys to know exactly what she went through to bring the kids into the world. But, you know, and maybe you do a similar type of thing, but but she likes to, she likes to go over it with them and say, you know, it was this time, and we were at home and here's what was going on and tell them the story hour by hour and kind of walk them through that in her mind and in her heart and hopefully for the boys they're reliving that, that time so that it begins to, it begins to shape them over time. We we do this Thanksgiving. That's my favorite holiday. I don't know about you. You can have your favorite, but Thanksgiving's my favorite. I mean, I I think we're doing ourselves a disservice when we only eat turkey and dressing uh, once a year and uh, cranberries. I, anything with cranberry sauce, I'm a, I'm a sucker for. But anyway, uh, but but it's it's supposed to be about more than just the turkey and the dressing, right? I mean, my my teachers in school anyway told me that we were rehearsing the story of the first. Thanksgiving, right? The pilgrims and the Native Americans coming together and, and sharing a meal together. And so we've set aside this time to be thankful and to enjoy a meal and to come together with our friends and our family, but it's to rehearse that original story. We do this every July 4th that we celebrate Independence Day and we rehearse what it is that makes our country our country and we rehearse kind of the, the events and also the, the enjoyments of freedom and independence. I think about other things that are celebrated in different cultures and different peoples. Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865, celebrating and remembering the end of slavery, the setting free of people in this nation. The the story of Purim, if we go to the Old Testament, uh, the the story of Esther, and, and to this day, the Jews celebrate Purim, and it's a rehearsal of the story of Esther. In fact, they'll get together as families, as communities, and they'll retell the story, and they'll kind of act it out and relive the story of how Esther helped to deliver God's people. Hanukkah is a rehearsal of how the, how the temple was defiled and, and, and how eventually it was rededicated and the oil that didn't run out. So every year, that story is rehearsed and repeated and dwelt on. God told the Jewish people, the Israelites, as they were coming out of, of Egypt and they were coming into the promised land, there was that time where they lived in tents in the wilderness. And so every year, and to this day, the Jewish people still do this, they'll build a booth and they'll live in a booth. We call that the Feast of Booths to rehearse What God's people went through to rehearse their story, to rehearse where they came from and what brought them to where they are today. Passover, same kind of an idea. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. But here's what I really want us to focus on this morning is that we are shaped by the stories we rehearse. As, as nations, we're shaped by the stories we rehearse. As cultures, we're shaped by the stories we rehearse. As subcultures within a culture, as families. Your individual family in so many ways is who you are. You are who you are in part because of the stories that you've rehearsed and that you've told over and over again and thought about and repeated and dwelt on. And you as an individual are who you are in part because of the stories that you've rehearsed. Maybe you've rehearsed them out loud, but certainly in your mind you've relived them over and over again. You've gone over those details over and over again. For some of you, those stories are stories of success, great moments in your life, in your history, that you continue to rehearse and think about the details of what has brought you to where you are today, and you look back on those with joy and celebration. And there are other stories in your personal life that are stories of tragedy and defeat and hurt and pain, and you probably rehearse those stories over and over and over again in your mind. And and even in your families, when you come together, you may not speak it out loud, but maybe there's these unspoken stories that have shaped you into who you are as individuals, who you are as a family, and those are the stories that you're Your lives are built upon. Those have become your foundation stories. We call these defining moments, things that you repeat, things that you dwell on, things that you remember, things that you rehearse. You see, God knew that people were this way, and God knew that this was a good thing. This can be an incredibly powerful thing. You see, before Jesus, a thousand years, over a thousand years before Jesus, Israel were a group of slaves in Egypt, right? They were slaves in Egypt. They had been enslaved there for hundreds of years, and God set his people free. And God, remember, he punished the Egyptians with nine horrible plagues, and then there was this 10th plague, the worst of all of them, the one that was going to free Israel from slavery, death, was going to come to the Egyptians. And God promised, I'm going to protect my people, and I'm going to set my people apart. And do you remember, it, it had to do with a lamb, and with the lamb's blood. And the night before all of this was going to take place, and death was going to come to Egypt, God had his people kill a lamb, and take that lamb's blood, and spread it on the doorpost of the house, and And then eat that lamb together with a meal that they had prepared quickly in a hurry because they were going to be set free. You see, but that was a story that they would continue to repeat. That God wanted them to continue to repeat generation after generation after generation after generation. Year after year after year continue to rehearse that story. So they would shape Israel into a group of people who were defined by the fact we are God's covenant people. We are the people God delivered from slavery. We're free because of the events of the Exodus. And you see, it wasn't just that every year, year after year after year, they had a meal that was similar to the Passover meal. It was that every year, year after year, they they joined in with this meal that had been ongoing so that it became very personal so that every generation of Israelite, every generation of Jew felt like I have been delivered from slavery. Look at Exodus chapter 12 as we think about this and God is telling Moses, even as these events are transpiring, he's saying, this is this is what I want you to do. Every year, I want your people to prepare. I want my people to prepare this meal and eat this meal. He says, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. And then if you were to keep reading, you'd read all the details of that. But look at verses 26 and 27 of Exodus 12. He says, and when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? And that's what all of these things, I mean, if you read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, the Torah, the the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses, and God would give these instructions to his people. He knew that the kids would always be asking questions. Why do we have this feast where we we live in in tents for a while? Why do we, why are this, this stack of stones, why are those right here? Why do we do the things that are written in this law? Why do we celebrate? Every, why do we eat this lamb and eat this this unleavened bread? Why, why don't we wait for the for it to rise? And why do we do these strange things? Your children are going to ask, and then you tell them, "I was delivered, you were delivered, we were delivered." Look at what it says. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. You see, and if you read through these books, you'll see over and over again, you see these first-person pronouns, so it becomes very personal That this isn't just something that happened to a bunch of people a long time ago. This is something that we are participating in. This is a story that we're stepping into. You see, by eating this meal, by taking this very real lamb and very real bread and very real wine and very real herbs. I mean, year after year in a very real and tangible way. By taking this meal, the Israelites are stepping into the story and accepting their identity as God's delivered people. This isn't just something that God did for someone else. It's something God did for me. It's something God did for my family. It's something God did for us. This is who we are, but more specifically, this is who I am. I am a delivered person. I should be a slave, but I'm not. I'm free. And by taking this meal, they're stepping into that ongoing story and accepting their identity as God's delivered people. You see, and that was supposed to shape everything that they did, everything that they were everything that they did in obedience to the law was supposed to be defined and shaped around the fact that we are God's delivered people. And this, the exodus, the Passover, was part of that that shaped their identity and a way in which they could step into the story. See, so it was no accident, was it, that Jesus chose Passover to be the time when he would allow himself to be arrested, and allow himself to be beaten, and allow himself to be crucified and killed. It wasn't an accident that Jesus chose the Passover, and the night before he was going to allow all of this to happen, he explains to his apostles, he redefines and reshapes the Passover meal to say, now I'm the lamb that takes away the sin that brings you and delivers you and all nations of people who will believe in me. I'm the lamb and it's my blood who will mark you as God's people that will deliver you out of slavery and into freedom, that will take you out of death and into life. And so that's what we're doing here today, isn't it? We're stepping into the story We're we're taking this very real bread and this very real cup and we're rehearsing the story that we're a part of. We're not just taking a meal that's similar to the meal Jesus and his apostles took on that night that he was betrayed. We're stepping into that meal. We're joining him and we're joining his apostles and we're accepting our identity. This is who we are. This is who I am. This is who you are. by by taking that very real piece of bread, you're saying it's because Jesus gave up his own body that I'm free. It's because Jesus gave up his own body that I'm a part of his body, that I'm a part of God's holy chosen people. It's because of that blood that he shed that I'm forgiven, that the angel of death has passed over me, that I'm separated from who I was and who I used to be, that I'm a different person, I belong to God. That's what we're doing when we eat this bread and we drink this cup. We're rehearsing that story, we're stepping into the story, we're accepting our identity and allowing this story to shape us in everything that we do on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, shaped by the story of Jesus Shaped by our identity and our association with Jesus. But but here's the danger, okay? I think I think we've got to acknowledge the danger that often happens with these types of things. What often happens, it's like Thanksgiving. I mean, I I'm not kidding when I say I love turkey. Anybody want to feed me turkey and dress anytime, call me middle night, say, Wes, I got turkey for you. Come on, you know, anytime, I'll take it. I love it. And, but but for me, Thanksgiving, that's what it becomes. That's what it becomes is just the opportunity for me to indulge my appetite and get some turkey and dressing and some pecan pie. You know, that's what it becomes. The the form is there, but it's lost its function. Because I'm not rehearsing a story, I'm just indulging my appetite. And that's what happens so often with, with holidays and special remembrances and special celebrations. I mean, we just use it as an opportunity to blow something up or grill something, you know. We, we just use it as an opportunity to have fun and enjoy ourselves and there's a place for that. But are we, have we lost touch with the function of what it is that we're supposed to be remembering? You see, it's possible for that to happen with this meal, isn't it? for us to come together and for us to keep the form and we eat some bread and we drink some juice and, and then we go on about our day and not to allow this story to shape us into being who we're supposed to be. You see, that's what happened in Corinth. So if you got your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see, this is this is exactly what happened in Corinth. The, the form was there in a way. They were still eating stuff and drinking stuff, but it wasn't the Lord's Supper that they were taking, Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're not, you're not joining him in, in the supper that is his, in the meal that is his. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. You, This this coming together and this meal that we're eating, it's not about satisfying our hunger and our thirst. It's not coming together and having our own meal. We often call it communing. Well, that's a good word, isn't it? To have something in common, to commune with each other, to come together and share with each other, to share who we are and what we have and what's been done for us and to commune not just with the people in this room, But the people at first service and the people all over this city and the people all over this country and the people all over this world and and the people throughout the centuries and Jesus himself were communing, were coming together and sharing. But somehow in Corinth, it had lost that significance. It had lost that function and it became about individuality and everybody was coming together and they were just thinking about themselves. No, there's a danger in that for us, isn't there? That we can come together and make this gathering something other than what it's supposed to be and make it about me, make it about you, make it as, about us as individuals, and you know, make it about the way our hair looks or the clothes that we're wearing or the way that we sing or I hope people notice I'm going to church like I'm supposed to, whatever it is, and indulging some sort of appetite that we have. And that's what they were doing. They were coming together and they were just indulging their appetite rather than communing and celebrating and remembering and rehearsing the story that they were a part of. Look at verse 23. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You see, it's, it's all about sharing, isn't it? It's all about Jesus selflessly sharing with us and about us selflessly sharing with each other. And it's about remembering. It's about sharing and about remembering. And when we make it something other than that, then we're failing to rehearse the story. And when we fail to live that out in our daily life, we're failing to be shaped by this story, You see, it should shape us. And in Corinth, there was all kinds of fighting and division and backbiting and all kinds of nonsense and division going on. It's because they weren't letting the cross and they weren't letting this supper. They weren't letting the death of Jesus and what he had shared with them shape them into the kind of people that share everything with each other. And it was made manifest in the way that they were misusing and mistaking the supper in the same way also he took the cup after after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you and i love this word you proclaim the lord's death until he comes You see, the Passover meal, every year, year after year, generation after generation, it was a proclamation, wasn't it? It was a proclamation, we have been delivered from slavery. Every time, every family could get together, and they proclaimed it. They proclaimed it to the servants in their house. They they proclaimed it to the sojourners who were there with them. They proclaimed it to everyone. We are no longer slaves. We are God's people, and we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. It was a proclamation year after year, generation after generation. And what Paul is saying is that this meal weekly, when we come together as a church family, this meal should be a proclamation. We should be proclaiming God has delivered us from slavery. We are God's people and we've been set free by the blood of the Lamb. And he says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord In an unworthy manner, some translations say unworthily, and that makes us feel afraid. Maybe am I unworthy to take? Of course you're unworthy to take the Lord's Supper. We're all unworthy. That's the point. We're forgiven people. If you ever don't feel unworthy, then, then maybe you ought not to take it. If you ever feel worthy to do it, maybe there's a problem. Of course we're unworthy. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying in an unworthy manner. Well, how's that? Without remembering. Without rehearsing the story. Without thinking about who you are and what's been done for you. What you deserve and what you have in spite of what you deserve. If you take it without reflection on the story, you'll be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. You see, it's a, it's a serious celebration. But it's a celebration, isn't it? And sometimes I think that we, we take that seriousness and we think that that should translate to somberness. And it shouldn't. This is a celebration. See, when the Jews would come together and eat the, eat the lamb, celebrating what God had done for them, And they didn't just come together and say, oh no, a lamb had to die so that we could live. No, they came together to say, we've been delivered. And church, when we come together and we eat this meal, we need to do it with reflection and examination and seriousness, but it ought to be a celebration. This isn't a funeral. The lamb who died so that we could live, he lives. He lives today and he makes intercession for us and we are free people and forgiven people and loved people and cherished people. And that's the story we're celebrating when we take this meal. And sometimes I think, I think that we fail to be celebratory in the way we take this meal. This is a celebration, church. Not of anything you've accomplished, but what he's accomplished on our behalf. And he says, because you're, you're not reflecting on the truth of the cross when you're taking this, because you're not reflecting on who you are and what you have, because you're not rehearsing the story, that's why, verse 30, many of you are weak and ill and some have died, but if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Paul says, take this correction and learn from it. So that you won't be condemned along with the world. He says, so then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. See, isn't this good? Isn't it good? Jesus, here's what's happening. Jesus is inviting us into a meal. Jesus is inviting us to have the meal that he had with his apostles, to join them. Jesus is inviting us to take part in a meal that shapes our lives around his death. And that's why it's so incredibly important and significant, and that's what we're celebrating, and that's why we're here, so that we can remember and celebrate and dwell on and rehearse the story so that we can step step back in time, step into a story and accept our identity. We are God's loved people. We are God's forgiven people. We are God's set free people. And then we go out into the world and we, we live Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We go to school and we go to work and we go to our neighbors and we go to our enemies and we love them and we share with them and we help them and we serve them. Why? Because our identity has been shaped by this story. And some of us need to be reminded that this is the story that needs to shape our lives. Not our national stories. Not the stories of your family. Not not the tragedies that have happened in your life. This needs to be the most significant story that shapes who you are as a person. Who are you? I'm a Christian. Well, What does that mean? That means I've been set free. That means I'm... God lets me be in his family. And that changes the way you treat everybody. It changes the way you treat your spouse. It changes the way you treat your children. It changes the way you treat your neighbor. It changes the way you treat your classmates. It changes the way you treat your coworkers. It changes everything. That's what this meal is all about. Jesus is inviting you to join in this meal and to be shaped by his story. And we're going to offer an invitation. And just like always, if you haven't yet been buried with Jesus in baptism and taken on that part in the story, become a part of the story. As Paul says, get grafted into the family tree. Then this is an opportunity to do that. Or if you need prayers, you can come forward. But after the invitation song, we're all going to participate in the invitation. We're all going to respond one way or the other. Because it's Jesus' invitation. And he's inviting us, as he does every week, to join in this meal. And to allow this time together, this breaking of bread and this drinking of the cup, to shape us into his people, to shape us around the story of his death. After service, the elders would love to pray with you. Or again, you can come forward now as we sing. But in a moment, we're all, we're all going to respond to his invitation. If we can help you now, come forward as we stand and sing.